Well, last week uh, we talked about the idea of forced love, uh, that, you know, we can, we can force people to do stuff. And, and I, I talked about how, again, with my children, that sometimes we, we ask them to, to forgive. And, and that can be very easy to say, right? It can be very easy to say, I forgive you. But it's a completely different thing to actually mean that idea. You know, we can go through the motions, but but is the heart actually in it? And so we've been going through Philemon and discussing this idea of forgiveness. And we, we can so easily throw that word around. We can just throw it out as if it's not a big deal. And, and Christ forgave us and we should forgive others. But, you know, it, it can be difficult. You know, it, it's easy when somebody says something silly to you or, or you know, your sibling takes your last French fry and, and we go, oh, I forgive you for saying that or taking my last French fry or, or asking for forgiveness and going, I didn't really mean it or I was just hungry. That's not a big deal, right? But what happens when forgiveness becomes difficult? What happens when what we are asked to forgive actually matters and has great significance to us or has caused us a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. What happens then in our desire and willingness to actually forgive, right? It's very simple when the consequences are not very great or doesn't have large implications, but it's a whole different story when there's a lot more behind what's what's going to happen. Um, and, And so, You know, I want us to think about, can I forgive when I feel what has happened is unforgivable, right? And I think when we think about, well, what are those things that are unforgivable? And I think a lot of times it's it's pieces that deal with our family, right? I'm a a husband and I'm a father. And if somebody ever did anything to my wife or my children, you could imagine that I am not going to be happy. That it's my job to care and protect them. And you better believe that I am going to want absolute justice if somebody hurt someone that I loved. You know, I want to take justice into my own hands at that point. And that's what I mean when I talk about what are those things that really push us to not want to forgive. Well, well, back in 1993, Mary Johnson was a single mother. She had one son, uh, Larriman, and, and he was 20 years old and he had gone to a party. And another individual, O'Shea Israel, was there as well. And O'Shea was 16 years old. And uh, O'Shea was involved in drugs and gangs. And, and as he tells the story, he said, Basically, what happened was ego. You had two guys in a room that were posturing and jockeying for power, and things got out of control. And O'Shea shot and killed Larryman. And he was, he was caught, and he was arrested. And Mary Johnson, the, the mother of Larryman, went to every single court hearing. And she said it was very difficult, because every time I had to listen to the details about what happened to my son. And as she spoke about that, she said, the more that I went, the more I hated him. And the more that I went, the more that I hated him, the more that I started to hate other people. She said, I got to the point where I was so angry, I started to hate my own family members that even my own family started to pull away from me. But she went to court and she thought, O'Shea is an animal. And he deserves to be locked up for the rest of his life. 
And she thought, here I am, I'm a Christian woman, and I was full of hatred. And she wanted absolute justice done. And when he originally was tried, he was going to be tried as, a, uh, as, a, as an adult for first degree murder. And then the judge decided to change that and only made it second degree murder. And she was mad. She said, I could not believe this. And it consumed her. And O'Shea was found guilty and sentenced to 25 years in jail. And then she got a poem. It was a poem about two angels. Two angels talking in heaven about what had happened to their children. And as they talked and talked and tried to grieve with one another, the one woman said, well, who was your son? And she said, well, my son was Jesus. And they talked a little bit more. And she said, well, who was your son? She said, my son was Judas. And when she finished that poem, she said, what I think God is calling me to is to try to bring mothers of murdered children together. But how can I help mothers reconcile if I've yet dealt with what had happened to my own son? And so she began to pray and she began to think about O'Shea and, and how he shot and killed her son. And she went and she attended some classes where they sat with her and they said, you, you want to actually go talk to him. Well, let's talk about how you need to interact with him and, and the questions that you can ask. And, and you need to think about why are you doing this? What are you hoping to accomplish out of this? And so she went through these classes. And, and during this time, O'Shea had found out that, that Mary Johnson wanted to speak to her. And he thought at first, there's no way. Why am I going to want to accept responsibility? I don't want to face and admit the consequences that I had to deal with. But as O'Shea sat in prison, he began to think about it more and more. And he said, you know what? I want a different life. I don't want to be the man that I was. And he said, this is where change is going to have to happen. And, and so he thought the least that I can do is meet with this, this victim's mother, the mother of the, the man that I shot, and at least give her an opportunity to have closure in her life. So 12 years into O'Shea's prison, Mary Johnson finally made it there. She said it was hard. It was really difficult. And she just kept thinking about how, I can't do this, God. I can't do this, God. And she said, but God, I know you're calling me to do this. So she went into the prison and she sat down. And then O'Shea came in. And she didn't know where to start. And so she started with this. She said, you don't know me, and I don't know you. You didn't know my son, and he didn't know you either. And we need to establish some sort of foundation. And so they talked. And O'Shea was blown away by the fact that instead of coming in and attacking him, this woman wanted to get to know him. And so they talked for a while, and after it was all done, O'Shea said, can I give you a hug? And Mary Johnson got up, and at that moment, she broke down hysterically into tears to the point that she began to collapse. And O'Shea caught her. And as he held her, he said, just hold me as if you were my mother. 
And after it was over, O'Shea went back into prison. And Mary said, I just hugged the man who murdered my son. She said, at that moment, something changed. She said, it was like as if something in my feet started to come up and it just came and it came and it came and it came. And then she said, it just seemed to come out. She said, all of the hate, all of the animosity, all of the pain, the bitterness, the anger, she said, it all just went away. In that moment, she was able to forgive O'Shea for what he had done. And it didn't stop there, because now her heart had been changed. And Mary desired better for O'Shea. And she wanted him to transition well out of prison. So after 17 years, he was going to get to be paroled early. And Mary was there. And she actually threw him a welcome home party in her own house. And she said, I, I wanted to see this man go to college. I wanted to see this man get married. And I wanted to see this man have kids. Something that my own son would never get to do. But she said, that's what I wanted to see for O'Shea. And so now at this point, they remain close friends. She actually wears a locket of a picture of her and her, her son, Larriman. And on the backside of that locket, she carries a picture of O'Shea. And her and O'Shea actually are neighbors now. She lives in apartment 402, and he lives in apartment 404. So we talk about forgiveness. What a powerful story. What a powerful act that shows the transformative power of Jesus Christ and what the gospel can do in someone's life. So when Christ said to forgive, for Mary, this was one of the hardest things to do. But forgiveness was not an option for her. It was a command. And she knew she had to offer and give that. And as I said, we can be very careless with that word. We can just throw it around and, and say, just go and forgive and just move on with your life. But that's not what I want us to understand about forgiveness. I want us to understand that there is a cost to forgiveness. And it's not easy and it can be difficult. But as I've already said, it's, it's a non-negotiable. It's something that Christ is, is calling us to do. And so what I want us to, to be able to do today is understand that sometimes forgiveness has a heavy price. That sometimes forgiveness can be a burden and a weight upon us. And it can be very, very difficult. But when we come to understand when that debt has been paid, forgiveness becomes an opportunity to find freedom. And I think that's where Philemon is going to help us. The book of Philemon is going to help us out. So if you have your, your Bible, again, you can turn open to Philemon. We're going to be in verses 17 to 21 today. And, and again, Paul is writing to Philemon, uh, somebody who came to know Christ under him, talking about this desire to forgive uh, his runaway slave. Onesimus has made his way over to Rome. Uh, and Onesimus uh, has also found Christ. And now he's encouraging Onesimus to go back and he's encouraging Philemon to forgive him. So here we go. Verse 17. It says, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. 
If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing with this my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write, to, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So we talked already about the character of one who forgives, that if we are Christians, if we are followers of Christ, we should forgive. And last week we talked about the motivation that it should come from a heart that is willing to see change in someone's life. That, that, that we understand that Christ has forgiven us and we've been changed and we've been redeemed and forgiveness can offer that to someone else. And the testimony to an unbelieving world of what that looks like. And so now Paul is saying, look, Philemon, if you consider me a partner, and that word partner means koinonia, it's a fellowship, it's a sense of communion and, and community, it's, it's a, a close-knit fellowship that exists, that, that it's, a, it's an intimate and personal unit. He, he's saying, look, Philemon, if you and I are like this, I need you to forgive Onesimus because here's the thing. Just as you and I are now one in the Lord, guess what? Again, you guys are one in the Lord. You share the same Heavenly Father. You share the same Spirit. You share the same eternity. You guys have an intimate partnership together now. And you have the same desire and the same will to share the gospel and the minister in the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, let me take this just a little bit further. Not only is it about unity, but here's the deal, Philemon. If he owes you anything, you charge it to my account. If there's anything that it costs you, I will pay that cost. And again, remember, we, we think that Onesimus has probably stolen from him to get himself over to Rome. And not only stolen from him, but also in the process, he has cost Philemon time and money because he was a runaway slave. So all of that productivity that Onesimus could have been producing for Philemon has now been lost. And Paul is saying all of that, I am willing to pay that back. Charge it to my account, Philemon. And Paul says, look, I'm, good. I'm, I'm writing this part with my own hand. I'm going to personally vouch for that. I'm going to sign on the dotted line of the contract. And, and so probably, again, what typically would happen is that the author of somebody like Paul might have had actually one of his, his own disciples would have probably written this letter. And we know that Paul uh, had eye problems later in life. And so, so maybe Paul actually chose to write this letter personally himself because of how much it meant. Or maybe when he got to this part, Paul's like, no, no, let me write, give it to me. And he rips the pencil out of his hand and he says, look, I'm signing it myself. That's how serious I am, Philemon, that I am willing to bear the cost of this. And he says, not only that, but look, he says, you owe me as well. He says, remember, you came to Christ under my teaching. You owe that to me. You, you are indebted to me, just as Onesimus is indebted to you. 
And now understand that Paul is, is not saying in the sense that, that Philemon never would have found Christ because again, Christ, the salvation only comes through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ and knowing Jesus Christ as your personal savior. And if, if Philemon chooses to forgive, it's not like Paul's like, great, now your debt has been paid. But he's just trying to make a point to Philemon here. He's trying to make a point about how forgiveness works in terms of a financial sense. You know, when we often look at the scriptures, it's not uncommon that Christ speaks about this and is And the apostles speak about salvation and forgiveness in terms of debt and in terms of some sort of accounting term. And let me just give you two little verses here. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? A wage is something that you're paid, right? It's something that you owe, that when you work, your boss, your employee says, here you go. This is what you've been paid. And so what does that mean for us? It means that in this world, what have we produced? We have produced death with our sins. For all of the sins that we have put out there, God turns around and says, here's what you get for sinning. You get to die. But then this is where Christ steps in. Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He said, you were dead. You were a dead man walking. And you were simply walking yourself to the grave. Because all that sin money that you earned up, this is what it bought you. This is what you got in life. And the only way that you could be freed of death is through obedience and righteousness. But guess what? You have none of that because you are a disobedient sinner in the face of a holy and perfect God. So what does Christ do? Christ steps in. And he says, that's not my desire for you. He says, look, I never did anything wrong. I'm perfect. I'm holy. I am righteous. And so he says, here, Take my righteousness, have my obedience, have my perfection. And in exchange for that, I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to take your death and I'm going to take all of your disobedience and it's going to be mine and you can have what I have. And because when you have what I have, now you have life, but now I have to die. And so you are a free man because of the righteousness of Christ. And now Christ is the one who's going to bear all of the burdens and all the sin and all of our guilt and punishment. And Paul says to Philemon, this is what's happening here. I'm willing to assume all of that burden because what I want is I want a refreshment of my heart. I want to see you, Philemon, be willing to forgive Onesimus. I want to see the joy that exists But in order for forgiveness to happen, someone is going to have to bear that cost. Someone is going to have to set someone else free. And so it's either going to be Paul. It's either going to be Philemon who's going to turn around and say, no, Paul, you know what? Forget it. I'll just eat the cost. Or maybe it's Onesimus. 
Maybe Onesimus comes back and, and Philemon forgives him and he says, you're free to go. And Onesimus says, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to work for you the rest of my life. I'm just going to work overtime until all of my debt has been paid back to you. But somebody is going to bear that cost in terms of forgiveness. So when we talk about forgiveness, I think one of the biggest fears that we have in terms of the cost is the idea of forgiveness and freedom. And when I say freedom, what I mean is this, is that sometimes I think when we think about forgiveness, we go, but if I forgive and that person gets to go free, where's the justice in that? Where, where's the punishment? Where's the accountability? You're just telling me that we're just going to let criminals go and they're not going to learn their lesson and they just get to go keep doing whatever they want. That doesn't seem right to me. I want us to understand that we can forgive and we can still hold people accountable to what they have done. Okay, they're, they're not at odds with each other. So, so let me explain what, what unforgiveness is like to help flush this out a little bit more. See, when we're not willing to forgive, what happens is, is we, we carry around a weight. We, we chain ourselves to the hurt and to the pain that existed. And we have this giant rock that we just have to continue to carry around when we're unwilling to forgive. And I get it that God has instilled with us a sense of justice. That's true. But we are humans that are plagued by sin and we will destroy everything good that God ever creates. So even the concept of justice is something that we can distort and pervert because of our own sinfulness. And many times we look at it and go, yeah, but if that person's punished, I'm going to feel better about myself. If they get the full extent of the law and they're locked up and we throw away the key, then I'm going to feel better about myself. And you know what? That's not often the case. Because see, us punishing someone else still doesn't let go of our rock. Because those people have their own burden that they have to deal with. We have to deal with ours. So Adam, are you telling me that we shouldn't punish people? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I, what I need us to understand is there is a big difference between my own personal forgiveness and societal consequences that exist. There's a big difference between my willing to forgive and someone still having to deal with the consequences of their actions. We can still administer justice. We can still lay down a consequence. We can still lay down a punishment. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's about what happens in my heart and my willingness to let go of that. And here's the other piece. It is not my job to play judge and jury. I have not been given the responsibility to determine someone's guilt or someone's innocent. It's not my job to determine how many years in prison someone is supposed to get. God has given us an actual justice system. Take a look at Romans 13. God set up a court system to deal with justice in a human sense. That's not my job. And you know what? 
God himself is the ultimate judge in Revelation 20. God is going to judge all people and judge all things in his time. Again, I have not been given that authority or that responsibility. But what have I been given the responsibility to do? That's to forgive. So you're just saying, Adam, that I should just forgive and just move on with my life and, and let that be the end of it. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying as well. Because, see, there's a process. There's a process that has to happen towards forgiveness. If we want to really reconcile what has happened to us, if we want to reconcile with someone else, we have to go through that process. And it's not easy. And some of you have, and some of you will experience some very horrific hurt in your life. That somebody is going to do something to you that is absolutely deplorable, that is absolutely despicable, and completely goes against the commands of God and violates a holy God and violates you as a person. That is true. But if we never attempt to deal with that hurt and pain, we are always going to carry around that weight. We are always going to be burdened and, and, and chained to the hurt and to the pain if we don't attempt to try and deal with it. It took Mary Johnson 12 years before she could walk into that prison and speak to O'Shea. 12 years that she had to reconcile that in her own heart before she could finally come forward and forgive. But she made a decision in those 12 years to move to that point, to when she finally could do that. And so when we have to deal with forgiveness, I want us to, to count the cost. And here are just some questions for you to think about that. If, if there is something in your life that you have not reconciled with or another person, if you've been hurt and you have not addressed some of these questions, then I, I want you to really consider them. I, I, take a picture of this if you need to and start to process and give me a call. Send me an email and say, Adam, we need to talk through this because there's a lot of hurt in my life and I need to deal with it. But we need to come up with answers to these questions. Why am I still hurt? How has it impacted me? How has it changed my life? How has what you have done to me, how has that set me back? And at the same token, we also need to consider, why did somebody do that to me? What was going on in their life that caused them to hurt me? What am I still holding on to? By, by me not addressing it, do I think that somehow I'm punishing the other person? Because probably the only thing you're doing is punishing yourself. So these are some questions that we need to find answers to. So if I get answers to these questions, Adam, are you telling me that I'm going to be okay and I'll finally be fine and I'll, then we'll be able to forgive? No, that's not what I'm saying at that point either. But what I'm saying is if we can start to answer some of those questions... It puts us in a place to find freedom. Because again, we live in a sinful and a fallen world. We commit sins and sins are committed against us. 
We live in a world that is not fair and we live in a world that is unjust because of what sin has done and how it has ravaged society and has plagued us as humans. But you and I will bear the mark of sin that someone committed against us. You and I will bear the hurt and pain that someone caused us. And you know what? There will be other people that will bear the hurt and pain and the sins that we did against them. See, it's easy for us to often think that nothing is that we've never done wrong. And all we do is assume that people hurt us all the time. But we are sinners and we hurt other people just as much as other people hurt us. And we hurt each other and I hurt them and they hurt me and I hurt them and they hurt me. And we just go back and forth and back and forth. And you know when the hurt stops? The hurt stops when Christ steps in. Because Christ went to the cross. He took our sins. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go to Calvary. I'm going to carry that cross. I'm going to I'm going to make my way through the streets of Jerusalem and I'm going to carry that cross. I'm going to carry the weight and the burden of all of your sins, even though I don't need to. But I'm going to carry them and I'm going to set the cross up and then I'm going to go up onto that cross and I'm going to die and give my life for you. First Peter two. He himself bore our sins, his body on the cross, that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, when we can answer all of those questions and we have answers, what we then do is we take all those answers and we put them into a bag and we say, God, I have tried to process this as best as I can. I've tried to look at the hurt that's been done to me and how it has shaped my life and how it has negatively impacted me and what that person was going through and who that person is. And God, I'm putting them all in a bag. And now we go over and we go, here you go, Christ. This is your bag now. Because I can't handle this unless you take it from me. Because when we're able to give Christ that bag and we're given the Holy Spirit, then we are given a divine and transformative power to then deal with the hurt and the pain in our lives. And forgiveness is not a reactionary emotion. It's not something that I just I just do as a response, but it's a decision of the will. It's a decision that says I'm going to actively pursue forgiveness and I'm going to work towards that forgiveness. And I'm going to turn that over to Christ. And when I turn that over to Christ, that is what frees me from the bond of slavery to the guilt and the punishment and the weight and the burden and all of the hurt and antagonism and the hostility. All of that exists when I goes away, when I give that over to Christ. But Adam, what if justice is not done? What if I forgive and that person gets off scot-free? That's not yours to control. You don't control what happens to that person. But God will deal with that. But Adam, what if I offer forgiveness to them? What if I what if I say I've forgiven them or what if I ask for it and there's no sort of reciprocity? What if they don't care? What if they don't change? 
What if they don't accept it? Christ doesn't tell us that our forgiveness only counts when both people agree. See, what Christ is doing in looking at you and saying, I've called you to forgive. Did you do your job? Because it's not your responsibility to control another person. But Adam, what if I can't let it go and it keeps coming back? What, what, if, what if five years down the road I, 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 I struggle and I break down? Well, in five years when that comes back, you take all those answers, you put them back in a bag and you say, Christ, here you go, I need you to help me. But what if it comes back again? Well, you take that bag and you go say, Christ, here, I need you to take it back. But Adam, what if it comes back? And every time it comes back, you keep going back to Christ and saying, Christ, I need you to take this from me. And we choose to not live in the hurt. We choose to live in the freedom of Christ. Again, I've titled this the cost of one who forgives. The cost. The cost. This is not easy. It is not simple. It is not something that I just shrug off and it goes away. It is something that I have to work towards. It's something that's not trivial and it should not be taken lightly. But there was a weight that was around Philemon and Onesimus and Paul. And it now plagued three spiritual brothers. And the only way they were going to be free of that weight was when Philemon was willing to forgive. Philemon had the power to set them all free. But somebody was going to bear that cost. You know, Mary Johnson knew forgiveness was needed. She knew that she needed to forgive O'Shea Israel if she wanted to move on with her life and if she wanted to help other people. But she also knew that someone would have to assume the cost of that. And so she went into that prison. She sat down with O'Shea. And she said, I'll take it. I'll take what you have done and I will turn that over to Christ. And when she did that, she found freedom. So when we talk about the cost of forgiveness, we talk about all this weight and all this burden and all of this guilt. Here's what we need to remember. That Christ had paid the cost for our sins and has forgiven us. And because Christ has forgiven us, we are free. And because you and I are free in Christ, we are now free to forgive others. Let's pray. God, I know that there are people in these pews right now that are probably wrestling and running something through their minds. And there's probably a lot of questions that can come from this sermon. Lord, you lay out the principles and you lay out the truth. But we as your children, are, I am asking on their behalf right now. Lord, give them a spirit to help them process Give them a, a spirit to come to grips with what has happened to them and a desire and a willingness to forgive. And I pray, Lord, that, that you will put people into their place that will not feed into the sense of, of, of victimhood and the sense of, of injustice and, and demanding it, Father, but put people in place that are going to speak loving compassion to them. 
to help them walk through this. And I pray, Lord, I pray that we see reconciliation amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ and that we are able to do so because, again, we can praise you, Father, that you have forgiven us and reconciled us back to you. And just as Mary and O'Shea have a story about the power of what Christ can do, Lord, let our forgiveness be a powerful testimony of the freedom that we have in your love. Amen.